been in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and I'd like to prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word by saying this prayer together. As we've been doing over the last few weeks, I'd like to invite you to pray it with gusto. <laughs> our Father in heaven, how will it be your name? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We've been in a series over the last few weeks looking at this Lord's Prayer. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, Jesus responded by giving them the Lord's Prayer. It's not a prayer that we're intended necessarily to say every week or every day, although there's tradition throughout the history of the church that the church has. In fact, early followers of Christ would say this prayer three times every single day. But it's more of a pattern that Jesus gives his disciples to follow rather than a prayer to pray every day. He, he says first and foremost, he says first and foremost that we should address God as Father. That, that when we think about God, the first thought that should come to our mind is that he is the divine good Father who chases us down and runs after us and welcomes us home. We should also remember that God's holy and that we should go to God not only with an acknowledgement of his fatherhood, but an acknowledgement of his holiness, that if any of us were to see God face to face, not covered with the righteousness of Jesus, we would be consumed by his perfection. And the person of prayer is the person that holds these two things in tension, the, the fatherhood of God and the holiness of God. And then Jesus changes gears a little bit. He, he says, and, and then pray, your kingdom come, God, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I was thinking about this part of this uh, prayer, this epic prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, I was reminded of my son who just turned three. Um, Reed, and he is the happy-go-lucky kid. He's our youngest of three kids. He just turned three last weekend, which means that he went to bed a sweet little boy, and he woke up possessed. That's what that means. <laughs> and those of you who have kids, you, you know this drill, and whoever coined the term the terrible twos obviously did not have a three-year-old yet, because... <laughs> There was an avalanche coming for them that they had no idea about, right? Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, oh yeah, those who have only three-year-olds, they have no idea the teenage years are coming, so just get ready, buddy, right? But here's what Reed decided. Reed went to bed a sweet two-year-old and woke up a possessed three-year-old, and so this is what his week has looked like. He decided that he only wanted to eat granola bars, and he woke us up by cover of darkness, 5 a.m., right in our face. You know that drill as a parent. When you wake up and your kids are right there, right? And, ah! Like, and he's like, I, I want a bar, Daddy. I'm like, I'm going to need to go to a bar if you keep this up, right? I mean, come on now. 
okay, see, so he's, then he transitions into, all right, I'm going to branch out into the yogurt category. I will eat granola bars and yogurt. Demanded a yogurt. He was graciously brought a yogurt in a little tube, and he outright refused it. Pushed it across the table. I'm like, oh, so that's how it's going to be. And I took that yogurt and popped it right in there. And he started bawling, right? I want the yogurt. I want the yogurt. It's just a normal day, right? Normal day in the sanctified Paulson household. Kelly, my wife, was eating a salad for lunch, and he told her, you can't eat that. That came from outside. Those are leaves. You shouldn't eat leaves. She had her hair up yesterday. He said, Mommy, I don't like your hair. I don't like your hair up. You got to put your hair down. He said, Daddy, I want to snuggle with you in bed. This is all last week. I want to snuggle with you. I jump in bed with him. I start snuggling with him, and he goes, Get out of here. <laughs> Gladly. Gladly, my child. God bless you. Good luck. Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. He's attempting to build his kingdom. That's what he's doing. He's exerting his will. He's decided that he has an idea of how the world around him should function and should relate to him. And by all means, we should be on our tippy toes waiting to accommodate his every whim and desire. And here's the thing, here's the thing. If my son got everything he desired, the world would be a disaster. <laughs> And if you got everything you desired, the world would be a disaster. And so from the get-go in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray. And he teaches us not only to address God as Father and not only to remember that God is holy, but immediately after that, before we ask him for anything else, before we request that new car or that new house or that new whatever sparkly thing we need. And we'll get to some of that next week and, and the core desires of the human soul that we all have, and we're invited to pray about those things. But before we ever pray about anything for us, we're invited to surrender our desires. That's the hard thing about prayer, is prayer is encountering a God who's way bigger than us and surrendering our kingdom and saying, God, my desire is not that you would build my kingdom, and it's not that you would do every single little thing that I ask you, and it's not that my life would go perfect according to my plan. But the first thing we're invited, the second thing we're invited to beckon, to ask, to petition God about in prayer is not for us, it's for him. It's for his kingdom. And can we be honest for a moment? And we can lie to ourselves for the rest of the time, but can we be honest for a moment and say that's a really hard thing to do? It's a really hard thing to pray, isn't it? Because we have to surrender our desires and our wants and our ideas of the way that we think the world should go, and those are pretty ingrained in us. And prayer at its, at its foundation is acknowledging God as Father, remembering God as holy, and then surrendering our desires and opening our hands to him. And saying, God, what you want to have happen is what I want to have happen. And, and sometimes we say that through gritted teeth, don't we? What I want to have happen, God, is ultimately what you want to have happen. Jesus uses this term, kingdom, 
We ask God, would you allow your kingdom to come? It's a word that has a ton of um, misunderstanding that surrounds it. Because a lot of us, when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about a distant someday. We think about the day when God will come and will set up his kingdom on earth. It's the same kingdom that the Jewish people were thinking of and totally missed their Messiah. We think of the kingdom that God will someday set up on earth. And here, just look at me for a second. He will. Someday he will. He is coming back. The scriptures are unequivocally clear about this fact. He is coming back. But, 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 but. The fact that God will come back and set up his kingdom in a distant future does not negate the scriptural absolutism that God does reign right now. Right now. And so we have this, this, the theologians would call it a um, now but not yet, now but not yet reality of the kingdom. It's this God reigns right now, but just wait, someday Oh, he's going to reign in a beautiful, masterful way. So when Jesus steps onto the scene, he starts teaching. And I would invite you to read back through the gospel accounts and see if I'm not right when I say, the point of Jesus' preaching and teaching in the New Testament is about the kingdom of God. It's about God's reign in the here and the now. And here's what he says. He says this. He says, for that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. This beautiful invitation, turn. You can follow after Jesus. Just chase after him. Turn. Repent. For the what? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not a distant someday. It's today. Today, See, kingdom could literally be defined as, the kingdom of God could literally be defined as the effective rule and reign of Jesus. Think of it like this. The kingdom of God is the place and the space where what God wants to have happen, happens. Happens. It's where God's, who God is, and the plan that God has for the world starts to take root, and it invades the kingdom of this earth and the empires of the earth. When Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, he's saying that the kingdom of God is enacting war on the kingdom of darkness. That's what he's saying. The kingdom comes in opposition to and alongside of the kingdoms of this world. So they both exist at the same time. So that's why you go, well, Paulson, I'm not so sure that I believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. Because I open my news app or I get my paper or, and I open it up and I see what's going on in the world and it just doesn't look like Jesus reigns. And to that I say, you're right. You're right, but there are places all around the globe where the kingdom, this is one of those spaces where the kingdom is breaking out, and one does not negate the other. It does not. So the kingdom of God right now is alongside the empires of the earth, and when we pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done, what we're saying is, God, Push back the darkness with your marvelous light. Extinguish oppression and abuse and hate with your goodness, your love, and your mercy. That's what we're praying. 
when I was um, a college pastor, I took some of my students up to a leadership retreat, and we had the chance to go um, to this natural hot springs. It was up in Mammoth um, in California, and there was this river that was ice-cold mountain runoff uh, snowmelt. And bubbling up, there's this little sandbar, and bubbling up, there's just scalding hot water coming from the center of the universe, right? I mean, wherever it comes from. And so <laughs> it's bubbling up, and it is so hot that you can hardly even stand to put your hand on it. And what you had to do is you dive into the river, and you swim across the river as fast as you can because it's freezing, right? And then you get to the part of the river where it feels like a hot tub. It's awesome. Was the river cold or hot? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. See, the, the hot water was right alongside of the, open, um, the cold water, and it really depended on where you sat. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, and we look at the paper and go, I don't get it. Jesus would say back to us, well, well, pray, my kingdom come, and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are places where this is breaking out. In Ephesians chapter Two, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says that, that the enemy, Satan, is the prince and power of the air. He's the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. He goes, listen, he's the prince and power of the air. But earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, he said that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name. That's a lot of names, right? He's above it all. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And we live in this tension, friends, of the already but not yet nature of the kingdom, the prince and power of the air, and yet the victory of Jesus and the choice is ours. What kingdom do we want to live in? What kingdom do we want to carry? What kingdom do we want to be a part of? Dallas Willard, he says it like this, the great philosopher, pastor, theologian. He says, persons other than God, such as you or I, are still allowed on earth to have a quote-unquote say that is contrary to his God's will. The kingdom of darkness is here, certainly, and the kingdom of many individuals who are still trying to run their own show. All of this God still permits and I would add, for a time, for a time. And Jesus invites us to pray, your kingdom come, Jesus. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're people that long for the reign and the will of God to take root in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our marriages. We're people that pray, God, have your way, which begs the question. Are there places where God doesn't have his way? Are there places where God's hands are tied? Are there places where God wants to do something but just simply can't? I mean, if we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, there must be places that God's will is not being done. Right? Right. That's true. You don't have to look that far to recognize that earth does not look like, is not a mere image of the picture that we have of heaven, right? 
Right, it's not. Okay, so the follow-up question would be, so then Paulson, so you, you don't believe in the sovereignty of God then? Right? That you'd have to ask that if we were sitting down over a cup of coffee. And I'd take a long drink of coffee and go, no, absolutely, I do. I do believe in the sovereignty of God. I just simply don't define the sovereignty of God as determinism. So philosophical determinism would mean God simply just pulls the strings and you and I are all just marionettes and God's pulling the strings and he's sort of controlling the world in that way. That's, that's not what I believe the Bible teaches as the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, and you may want to write this down, means that God can do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. God can do whatever God wants to do whenever he wants to do it. The tension we step into is, God, it seems like you don't want to do it all that often. It seems like, God, you don't want to step in. Why is that, God, that you don't step in more in these types of situations? Are, are your hands tied or are you frustrated? And so the question we wrestle with is this. The question we wrestle with is this. How does Jesus answer this prayer? Because we affirm that God is sovereign and that all of history is going to culminate at a certain point. The Bible tells that very, very clearly that God is indeed sovereign. And yet as people, we have freedom and responsibility and his longing is that we follow him. So God, how do you answer the prayer? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that prayer get answered? Well, here's how it gets answered in the scriptures. Flip over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And listen to the way that the gospel writer Matthew records this portion of the life of Christ. He says this. He says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and what? Proclaiming or, or, or preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. This was his message. So he goes and preaches the gospel of the kingdom and he heals every disease and every affliction. So Jesus steps in and goes, I'm going to be the answer to that prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, it's now, and I'm going to display that through signs and wonders where people are healed and where freedom and vitality and life is restored, where it was simply dead or dying and desolate. That's part one of how Jesus answers that prayer. There's a second part, though of how Jesus answers that prayer, and he's about to tell you on that phone that's ringing right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the second part of how Jesus answers that prayer. Matthew chapter 10. So just keep reading a little bit, and here's what you will find. These 12, and then the 12 disciples Jesus sent out, and he instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter the town of Samarians, but go rather to the sheep of the house of Israel, and what? Proclaim... Right, so when I do this, you just read that word. So, and, and what? Proclaim, right, proclaim as you go saying the kingdom, 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out the demons. So the first part of Jesus' answer to that prayer, God, allow your kingdom to come and allow your will to be done, and we want the kingdom of God to invade the kingdom of darkness. And he goes, I'm going to preach it, I'm going to proclaim it, and then I'm going to live it. And then he sends his followers out to do the same. Part one of the answer to the prayer is him. Part two to the answer to the prayer is us. Is us. It's us saying we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we have been placed into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, and the kingdom of peace and shalom and healing and goodness and grace and mercy. And we can't just sit on that. We have got to be people who then carry the kingdom into the world. See, Jesus envisions a community of people who don't just pray that his kingdom would come, but who proclaim and live that it is now, that it is now. Uh, I love the way that the great theologian, 20th century theologian Karl Barth puts it when he says this. He says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. Yes! That's awesome! I mean, if you were here, I'd just like chest bump. Oh, yeah, that's... Because we don't just pray and passively sit back. We pray and we anticipate and we step in and it's never passive. It's always participatory. And we start to become, as we pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We start to be challenged to be not just prayers of the prayer, but part of the answer to that prayer. As the disciples were when they went and preached and lived the kingdom. You see, prayer, here's what prayer does. On a very foundational and fundamental level, prayer confronts our desire to want to escape. And it challenges us to embrace Jesus' appeal for us to invade. When we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, we acknowledge, God, you have a plan, but we also acknowledge, God, we have a part. We carry that kingdom. When we live in the way of Jesus in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the area that God's called us to have influence, when we start to live in the way of Jesus, we carry the kingdom and his kingdom comes in conflict with the kingdom of darkness and hate and abuse and oppression and it combats it with light and love and liberty and hope. And you're part of that. You're a part of that. But we only offer the things that we carry. Uh, uh, June 4th, no, sorry, June 6th, 1944, the Allied troops stormed the shores of Normandy. You've read about this. It's called D-Day. 
Over 150,000 allied troops bravely and boldly got out of their ships, swam to shore, and started to fight against an enemy, an enemy who said life doesn't matter, an enemy who said if we have the power, we're going to oppress rather than serve. And the allied forces said enough is enough, and they stormed the beaches of Normandy, 150,000 men that day. 9,000 of them lost their life. Here's the deal, friends. It would have been way easier to just stay in the boat, wouldn't it? It would have been so much easier to just try to escape rather than to invade. And invasion is costly. Invasion takes determination. Invasion requires that we live differently with a different value, a different ethic, and a different perspective, but in proximity with people who need this message. Invasion is dangerous. Invasion is dangerous. And we would absolutely celebrate the people that got out of the boat, that stormed the shore with this message of freedom. General Dwight D. Eisenhower said this at the time. He said, the eyes of the world are upon us. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Around that same time, there's a Christian, now Christian author, who writes about his experience growing up in Nazi Germany. He was a part of the state-sanctioned church. And their church butted right up against, and it was in back of the train tracks that used to transport prisoners to concentration camps. Jewish people packed these train cars, and as they were in worship services, they would hear the train cars go by, they'd hear the whistle blow, and they knew that the train was coming, and when the train came into the station, they would hear the screams of the people on this train. And the church just, one, lamented this reality, but felt like their hands were tied. And so what they did was they timed the singing and the service to be at the same time that the train would come into town. And when they heard the screams of the people, they just sang louder. It's this tendency we all have, isn't it, to escape rather than to invade, to play it safe rather than to take ground, to protect ourselves rather than to be part of the solution. And I don't know about you, but I think there's probably areas in our lives and in our nation and in our environment right now where we're, we're just singing louder, you guys. We're just singing louder. And I want to appeal to you on behalf of the scriptures, on behalf of God to say that it cannot be. It can't, we can't go down like that. The prevent defense worked for the Broncos. They won the Super Bowl. It will never work for the church. It won't. It won't. And you and I have everything we need to be the type of people that push back the darkness with the love of Jesus. His spirit lives inside of you, and there are pockets that you have access to where they need to know that there is hope, and they need to know that there is healing, and they need to know that there is forgiveness. And you are God's person to answer the prayer, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's going, I'm giving you that message, church. Carry it. Live it. Proclaim it. Invite people into it with his power and for his glory. With his power and for his glory. So 
What does it look like? I want to answer that question over the next few minutes. What does it look like to be the type of people that really, truly invade rather than escape? To invade rather than escape. See, here, here's the first thing I want to point out. Escapism looks for a path to leave. Invasion looks for a way to love. Escapism looks for a path to leave. Invasion looks for a way to love. And so let me just point out to you, Jesus, in this penultimate prayer that he teach, where he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, your kingdom come and your will be done. He doesn't say, hey, take us away to your kingdom. It's not a prayer of escape. It's a prayer of invasion. It's not, hey, Jesus, will you get us out of here? This is getting really tough. It's really hard. We're facing some serious persecution here. And his disciples were undoubtedly about to walk right into that. The prayer is not, get us out of here. The prayer is, allow us to be the type of people that, that, to, that brings what's there down here. That's the prayer. That's the prayer. And for too long, the ultimate hope followers of Jesus has ca have carried is an escape to this sort of disembodied existence before God where we could get out of this place. And he goes, that's not my plan. My plan is I invade. My plan is my kingdom takes hold and takes root on where? Earth as it is in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, prays. He says this. He says, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell you. He's going, listen, I'd much rather die and be with Jesus, but he's got me here. And if he's got me here, there's a reason he's got me here. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So as much as what is in me wants to be there, I know that God has placed me here. And if he's placed me here, I'm not gonna look for a way to leave. I'm gonna look for a path to love. And it's so much easier, you guys, it is so much easier to say, I want to find a way out than I want to find a pathway to love. And some people, and some of you are in marriages right now where you're going, listen, um, it would be way easier to just leave. Way easier to just leave. Now, now let me just take a time out and say there's some instances where you should. There's some where you should, okay? But there's also some instances where it's just not meeting your needs and it's not meeting your desires and the world doesn't seem to be revolving around you in the way that you want it to. And to you, I say, please take it before the Lord and ask him if this is a time to leave or if this is a time to love. Because it's way easier to just say, I'm out of here, than it is to say, I'm going to look for a pathway to love. I had a friend say to me the other day, listen, if, if so-and-so gets elected, I'm out of here. I'm going to Canada. I'm like, dude, you need to do your research. Because what you're fearing is what's already there, right? I mean, I'm like, come on. Come on. And I am sick of followers of Jesus who say, I'm just, if it doesn't go my way, 
I'm out of here. I want followers of Jesus who say, we will be a beacon of light in the darkness, and we will carry the hope of Christ to the places it is not. And regardless of how bad it gets, we will not lose our voice, and we will not lose our calling to be people of grace and truth, the mercy of Jesus in a world, hear me, friends, that desperately needs it. That desperately needs it. We cannot be people who value escape more than we value influence. So escapism says, I'm going to value insulation. Invasion, however, is built around influence. Escapism says, I'm going to insulate myself. I'm going to build the bubble. I'm going to live in the bubble. I can control the bubble. You need to ask me if you want to come into my bubble. And if I don't like you or don't like what you're going to say, and I disagree, which means I disagree with you, all right, I'm going to have my bubble, and you're not allowed to come into it. Well, guess what happens when you live in your bubble? You don't get to interact with anybody outside of your bubble. And if you don't get to interact with anybody outside of your bubble, can you please tell me how you plan on being a light to a dark world? So when Jesus says, pray like this, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It requires, friends, that as the people of God who carry the kingdom of God with us, that we are the type of people who say, as difficult as it is and as hard as it is, we're not going to value insulation more than we value influence. And here's the area that's hardest for me, Okay. That's hardest for me when it comes to my kids. It's hardest for me when it comes to my kids because I want to protect my kids. I want to say, hey, don't, don't climb that and don't, don't fall. Although, just a quick time out, there's some trees they should climb without a helmet, right? I mean, they, there's some trees they should climb and there's some falls they should take and they're going to be better for it in the end. But as a parent, I find myself wrestling between protecting my kids and wanting to protect my kids and feeling a calling from God to protect my kids and preparing them. And preparing them to be agents of change and to be agents of influence and to live a life of purpose in this world that they're going to live in. And as parents, Kelly and I have come to the conclusion that we want to raise kids who are invaders, not escapers. So there's some things that I'd love to protect them from, but I know it's more important that they're prepared. And so I'm going I'm to let them go there, and it, and it might be a little bit sharp, and it might be a little bit difficult, but I'm going to shepherd them through that, and I'm going to love them through that, and I'm going to point them through that because I want to raise invaders, not escapers. I want to raise a generation that storms the gates of hell and who invade the kingdom of darkness with the marvelous light of Jesus. That's what I want to do as a parent. That's what I want to do. And I feel like I'm in good company because that's what Jesus was about. So if you disagree, you disagree with him. Just kidding. <laughs> Trump card, right? Here's what Jesus says, though. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission, you guys. It's his mission. And every time I load my kid onto the bus in the morning, my prayer is, Jesus, would you use him for your mission? Use them for your mission. Would it be easier and safer to do something else? Yep. Yep. 
man, I desperately want my kids to be part of the mission of God. William Temple put it like this. He said, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefits of those who are not its members. So who has God called you to influence? Who are you praying for? God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In, insert whoever, whatever, on earth as it is in heaven. Escapism. First, right, we said that escapism operates, or what did I say here? Looks for a path to leave. Invasion looks for a way to love. Escapism looks for or values insulation. Invasion is built around influence. And escapism operates in fear, but invasion walks in faith. The invitation, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, when we pray that, is we are saying back to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we surrender it all, we long for your kingdom, and we long to be used as people who carry the goodness and mercy of Jesus into really, really dark places. Did you know you cannot pray this if fear has gripped your heart? You can't. You can't pray this if fear has gripped your heart. It was interesting. I was, we were talking as a life group about this idea of God being holy and God being other, and yet us not having a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of adoption by where we can call our God Father. One of the people in our group points out, well, yeah, but Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. He said, rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Anybody got a tattoo of that one? (laughs) What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, we are going to be aware of how small we are. You cannot run from that. You cannot hide from that. And so we're going to place our fear or reverence or awe, however you want to decide it, in something. And what we choose to quote unquote fear or revere or worship will be the thing that defines our life. And so Jesus says, fear the right thing. Live in reverence and awe of the right thing. And it will in turn free you to walk in the way of God. But for too long, followers of Christ have feared the wrong thing. We feared what people will think of us, what people will say about us, how we'll be received, and how we will be either celebrated or not celebrated. And we've got to start fearing the right thing and revering the right thing, friends. Because escapism operates in fear, invasion, taking the beach, storming the beach says, we will not live in fear, we will live in faith. Here's why that's so important. Because some of the areas of darkness that God is going to call you to walk into will not lose their hold overnight. It's not going to be easy. And this last week we uh, celebrated, or we, collective, we celebrated um, uh, sex slavery or slavery awareness day where we remember there's 27 million slaves still today in the world today. Most of them in two industries. One of them is sex slavery, the other is child labor. And I can just tell you, if you're a person that prays, that kingdom come, that will be done, and that's an area that's placed on your heart, the kingdom of darkness is not going to let go of its hold easily. It's not. And you can't walk in with fear. You've got to walk in with faith. 
If you're the type of person that says, listen, I'm going to invest in the homeless people, the homeless community around us, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve with um, family promise, or I'm going to serve and celebrate recovery to bring hope and to bring freedom to the many people that have hurts, habits, and hangups in our neighborhood and in our church, that, that, that's darkness, that darkness is not going to let its hold go easily. It's not. It's not. And so as followers of Christ, we have to be people who remember who we are and walk in faith rather than in fear. Finally, finally, escapism. Escapism finds reasons to complain. And invasion find ways, find, looks for ways to bring about change. When I'm focused on the things I fear, I start to complain. I don't know about that. I've just noticed that in me. When I'm focused on the things I fear, I start to complain. But when I'm focused on the God who says I'm bigger than your fears, I start to be a person that God uses to influence and bring about change in his beautiful world. So here's just a few diagnostic questions for you. One, do you think about how bad the world is getting or how much potential there is with the gospel? Which occupies more of your thought space? Two, do you focus more on what could go wrong or on how God might move? What occupies the space of your soul? Three, are your thoughts more consumed with the people against you or on the one who is for you. Here's what I've noticed. It's so easy for me to escape into places of fear and of wanting to leave and of wanting to control that I lose the mission of God, that we get to carry the kingdom into really dark, really broken, really hurting places. And that is an absolute honor for us. And we cannot, we cannot shrink back at the darkness. We must be people that carry the good news and the hope of Jesus into his broken yet beautiful world. That's our calling, friends. As followers of Christ, that is our calling. And so I just, I want to encourage you to be the type of person that invades rather than escapes, and that we pray with conviction. And then, and then, we act in confidence. We pray with conviction, and we act in confidence. And it's going to look different for every single person around you. Some of, for some of you, it's going to be praying for your neighborhood and then saying, all right, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw a block party on Memorial Day to just to try to get to know my neighbors I've lived near a decade and don't know their name, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to try to do that. Or it's going to be, hey, we're going to invite some of our kids' friends over for a barbecue, or I'm going to share my faith at my workplace, or I'm going to start having just a time of prayer before work, and I'm going to invite people to come with me, or I'm going to volunteer and serve at Family Promise or Celebrate Recovery or with the refugees that are coming to our area. Some of you, it's just going to be, listen, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done, and so I'm going to turn off my phone when it's time to be done with work, and I'm going to be present with the people around me, and I'm going to genuinely look for ways to serve them and love them. 
It, it, look, it could look really different for every single person in here, but the principle is this. We are called as followers of Christ to not just live in the kingdom, but to carry it. Jesus preached the kingdom and lived the kingdom, and he invites his followers, you and I, to be a part of his mission. Friends, please, 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 let's not value escape more than invasion. Let's look for ways to love rather than leave. Let's look for ways to be an influence rather than to insulate ourselves. Let's look for ways to encourage each other to walk in faith rather than in fear. And let's look for ways to be the change rather than being voices of complaining. Let's pray. Let's pray. I just want to I just want to create some space for you to just sit for a moment. Take a deep breath. God, what are some areas that you would have us be light? What are what are some of the the beaches in our life that we need to just storm with your love and with your grace and with your mercy? Father, in so many areas and spaces in our life, it would be a lot easier to, to leave than it would be to love. So Lord, help us be people of invasion. For the person in this room, and they're thinking about just giving up and leaving, I pray, would you just, would you give them the strong sense from your spirit today that they're called to love? For the person, Lord, who's just living in fear. Fear of what people will think about them. Fear of the past, their past catching up with them. Fear of the future and anticipating what might go wrong. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would stir in them a refreshing of faith today. Faith today. all of us, it's easier to complain than it is to be part of the change. So give us eyes to see, will you, please? Ears to hear what places you're calling us into. That we might be beacons of light and beacons of hope. That we truly, genuinely would see your kingdom come and your will be done in the broken, beautiful places in our lives and on this earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing our benediction together?